I'm kind of inclined to say fasten your seatbelts <laughs> and join me on the journey because this is going to be quite fast moving in places. <laughs> so, Kieran, God bless you. And bless Kieran, please, too, because there's a lot of slides. <laughs> so. so, we are carrying on our sermon series. Today's topic is respond and refresh in worship. And the, the overall theme is discipleship. Go, Kieran. <laughs> Learning to live like Jesus. A quick recap. So this moves pretty fast, Kieran, as well. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Follow me. Followers is another word for disciples. Follow me. Connection with God. Up. I will make you change you, transform you inside our character. That's the in bit. And to go out in his name, fish for people, bring others in. That is our calling to go out. So we have up, in and out in a healthy balance so that we're on play like that play symbol. We're on go. And today we're continuing our focus on the up the connection to God, exalting him for his greatness, enjoying him for his goodness, encountering him in his glory. The four symbols for up, start, stop, record and refresh. And so far we have looked at start, powering up with prayer, stop, stopping and reading the word of God, record, hearing the voice of God, each of us in our own unique ways. And if you've missed any of that, guys, it's all on the website. Get on there and listen. It's worth another listen, even if you heard it the first time. And so today, respond and refresh in worship, starting with praise. In the Power Up in Prayer Week, we talked about praising and giving thanks to God, honouring him, hallowing his name, as in the words of the Lord's Prayer. We talked about positive affirmations. God is good, he's great, he's amazing, he's loving, he's holy, he's faithful, he's true, he's gentle, he's powerful, he's beautiful. Put your own words in. We talked about God. We talked about dissimilar similarities. We call him things like, you're my rock, you're my shepherd, you're my potter. They're not very good descriptions, but they help our little minds to get something of God's character. And when we run out of words completely, then we just start saying negative things, things that he's not. He's not fallible. He's infallible. He's not finite. He's infinite. He's not comprehensible. He's incomprehensible. Or we just resort to complete silence because actually he's so far above us that we run out of things to say. And so we praise the God of glory. Everything belongs to him. All things were made through him. In him, all things hold together. He is worthy of all our praise. I'm looking at Kieran. <laughs> Keep going, flick it through. Everything belongs to him. All things were made through him. Keep going, Kieran, that's it. In him all things hold together. He is worthy of all our praise. Keep going. Praise reminds us of who he is and what he's done. 
It shouldn't be dependent on our circumstances, how we feel, because whatever is happening in our lives, God never changes. And praise through tears, folk, is even more powerful. It's about maturity. It's about hanging on to the truths about God, even when they don't seem to be true. When Alan and my husband were in La Mosquitia, we went through first a spiritual revival and then a hurricane. God be praised in that order. And I always link the two. (laughs) So Hurricane Mitch, the second deadliest Atlantic hurricane on record. You can see the coastline, the black line on that hurricane picture. It is a massive hurricane. It covered a huge circle of that area of that slide there, a massive circle. And can you imagine the damage that could cause? Well, it did cause in many places. Due to its slow motion for about four days, it dropped historic amounts of rainfall in Honduras and Guatemala and Nicaragua. 75 inches, some reports said. And the deaths due to that catastrophic flooding are what made it the second deadliest hurricane in history after the great hurricane of 1780. The mosquito people we lived among had their houses on that tiny strip of land. You can probably barely see it between the lagoon on the left-hand side as you look, and the sea. That meant that they were not in a good place to be with the hurricane arriving. They had the potential of huge waves from one side and water levels rising from the other. Yet I'll never forget the time of praise those villagers had as the hurricane approached. And we anticipated the likely submerging of that piece of land. Mire, Alan, said Rogelio, who was our dear friend and the elder of that renewed church. Mire, that hurricane is that big. And God is that big. And that's the way they praised as they waited for that hurricane to appear. Praise doesn't depend on our circumstances. There were a lot of people killed. There were a lot left homeless. There were a lot of problems. But actually, I think there was only two or three in the whole area of, that, of the Mosquitia. Most of them were in the cities. Our praise changes things. It changes atmospheres. It shifts things. Fear can become peace and trust. Despair can turn to hope. Pride can turn to humility. Unbelief can be replaced by faith. That's not to say that praise always takes our suffering away. For many, the suffering will not go away until heaven but we're enabled to walk through it with God. We serve an amazing, incredible God, the creator of the universe, the beginning and the end, the one who's never not been there and always will be there, the one who is forever holy. He is completely set apart. He is without sin. He is utter love. He is majesty. He is light. He is dominion. He's power. He's grace. How can we come into that presence? 
How can we do it? How can we draw near? We had in Psalm 24, who can ascend the hill of the Lord right up to God? I think of the story of Jacob's ladder. I don't know if you know that story. That stretched right up to heaven from where he was lying on earth. Guys, I can't even get on the first rung of that ladder in my own strength. Who can stand in the place of holiness near God, in front of his throne. There are some great biblical examples of people who encounter God. There is Moses, who encounters God through a burning bush and is told to take his sandals off because he's standing on holy ground. He's afraid to even look at God. There's Isaiah, who sees God seated on a throne, high and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temples, seraphims above him flying six wings each and at their voices the thresholds shake the doorposts shake and the temple is filled with smoke and little poor Isaiah just says woe to me I'm ruined I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty And if you think it's just Old Testament, try the New Testament. There's Peter. The disciples have been fishing all night. They're experienced fishermen, and they've caught nothing. And Jesus appears and says, oh, just put your nets down the other side. And they think, who is this man? But they do it anyway. And they catch this boatload of fish, which is so heavy and so full, they can barely get the fish into shore. And Peter falls to his knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Then we have Saul, who was blinded on the way to Damascus, busy persecuting the Christians he had been. And Jesus just says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? One of the songs said something about God not being tame. (laughs) He's not tame. He's not a God that we can treat lightly. The only people who can come into his presence are those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Are you joking? (laughs) Me? There's no way. There is no way. I am not so foolish or arrogant or self-righteous to believe that therefore I can get into his presence by myself through my own righteousness. Surely I was sinful at birth, says King David in Psalm 51. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He who doesn't have any idols in his life. I worship other things. Sometimes I worship money. Sometimes I worship other people. Sometimes I worship my family. Sometimes I worship myself. Sometimes I worship my popularity. That other people will say, oh, that was good, Rose. You know, there's always other idols in our life. And we need to let God have the final say in all that we do, in all the decisions we make. But that's not easy. So we're not worthy to get anywhere near to worship. The word worship means to kiss in Greek, proskunio, like a dog licking its master's hand. That's subservient. 
In, amongst the Orientals, they think of it as falling on your knees and touching the ground with your forehead, falling prostrate, and it has the same sort of meaning in the New Testament. It means to kneel, to prostrate yourself, to do homage before God. We are not worthy, and yet... That almighty God wants a relationship with us. So much he sent his son. We heard the word made flesh in the John reading that Adele read, full of grace and truth. And he came to bring life. He came to die for us. So we aren't separated from God anymore by our sin. We're not just able to come at a distance. We're not just able to get on the first rung of that ladder. We're able to sit beside him in the heavenly realms with all the spiritual blessings of God given to us. We are adopted as his children. It's said again in that passage, he came to make us his children. We're no longer dead to sin. We're alive in God and we are forgiven. And yes, in Christ alone, hallelujah, we have clean hands and a pure heart. We can ascend the hill of the Lord and we can stand in that holy place. In Christ, we are drawn closer to God here and now. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So let us approach the throne of grace with boldness and receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We exist to worship God. Worship's the only activity of the church that will last into eternity. And so we do draw near and we worship, sometimes in a really special way, We encounter God and his glory. Maybe we get a foretaste of what it's going to be like one day in heaven when we see him face to face. And if praise and worship leads to this palpable, feelable experience of glory, then Ruth Ward Heflin says, stand in the glory. Don't rush on. Stay close long enough to know God's presence really deeply, to hear what he's saying, to bathe in him, to be changed by him. I love the Noel Richards song, which goes, To be in your presence, not rushing away, where your love surrounds me, here I would stay. Etc. In the frenetic modern pace of life, sometimes let us just stop and rest in Him. Those of you who know me better will know I do normally have a fairly mad pace of life. And one thing I love to do at the seaside is just to lay on top of the water. Kieran, going onwards, sorry. <laughs> Hang on, I'm waiting for it to catch up. (laughs) Just to lie on top of the water. 
facing upwards with my whole body weight supported. Just little me in the middle there. The water going on as far as you can see. The sky going on as far as you can see. And just feels so small. And that God is so big. And that leads to worship, to resting, to trusting, to being at peace, to being transformed within. And at any time when I rest and let him speak, I get transformed. Sometimes he tells me, get off my throne. Who do you think you are? You're not God. I know you can see needs. I know you can see opportunities, but you do not have to fulfill them all. It's my work and I will do it. You are not indispensable, Rose Robinson. (laughs) I only need to do what he prompts me to do. And there's always prayer. Sometimes he tells me as an extrovert who loves to contribute in prayer, in conversations, in discussions. Sometimes he tells me, can you just be quiet for a minute? (laughs) I heard this really lovely idea recently that extroverts should count to five in meetings before they speak. And I've been trying that lately. (laughs) You'll laugh now if you see me doing it, but... It really works. I sit there, I shut my eyes, I count to five. And you'd be amazed how many times on the count of five somebody else prays and I am blessed by their prayer because I shut up. (laughs) If you're an introvert, please do the opposite. Get in there because your tendency will be to be the opposite. Now, I'm not saying I shouldn't speak when God gives me words to speak, but I'm saying because my natural tendency is to speak I need to listen harder. I love a song that I learnt when I was a child at primary school. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come out right. Worship isn't just about having a great time. It's about developing obedience to God in our daily lives. And he'll push us out to live for the poor, the needy, the hungry. He'll push us out to seek justice for the downtrodden. He'll push us out to ignore self-need and care for those around us. All acts that come out of our worship. So when we encounter God in worship, it enriches and transforms our lives. It shapes our beliefs and our actions and our way of life. Now, we all experience worship in a different way. The way we experience God is as wide as the personalities we have. And the way he calls us to respond is as wide as the personalities that we have. We are a body and we worship together and we do his work together. Having encountered God in the burning bush, Moses was told to go and bring God's people out of slavery in Egypt. His response was a bit less than keen. Who am I? What am I going to tell them? I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. God had to do some significant coaxing with Moses. Who gave man his mouth? I will help you. And still Moses said, please send someone else, Lord. 
God is so patient with us. Moses does lead God's people out of Egypt, and he speaks with God face to face, as one does with a friend, we're told later. Abraham also is called God's friend. Through him, all nations would be blessed. He's called to leave his home, everything he knows. And later, he's willing to sacrifice his only son, even though it was through him that all God's promises would be fulfilled. Abraham knows his God. He worships his God. He walks with his God. He trusts him. He believes he can raise the dead, we're told. You know, response in worship is really important. It's not just about having a nice time. It's not just a God party. If you think you can do what you please all week out there in your everyday life and then come in here and give him meaningful praise and worship, then think again, people, and go and check out some of these scriptures. Does the Lord delight in sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And when God's upset with his people, he says things like this in Isaiah, take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. In Amos, he says, I hate your religious festivals. It's not because he hates them coming into his presence. It's because they've been out there exploiting the poor, doing what's wrong, and then they come in and think they can sit there and worship God. Well, they can't because he sees right through them. And he says, away with the noise of your songs and let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. If you come into the presence of God and worship, you will be transformed. He transforms us as individuals. He transforms us as congregations. He transforms us as communities out there too, as we go out with what's happened to us. So transformation as congregations. We've looked at a few individuals. Let's look one or two biblical examples of communities in worship. There is some amazing examples in the Bible of worship as communities. There is the temple worship. First of all, they build this magnificent building covered with gold and beautiful carvings and a stunning place to worship in. And then they appoint musicians and they appoint Levites and they have different people responsible for different areas of the worship. And then they have these great mass gatherings where they worship God. And no wonder that the Spirit of God falls at times on them. There are times of repentance and transformation, sometimes when Israel has gone a long way off God and then they refind the book of the law and they read it out. They end up weeping. They end up saying, oh God, how far from you we have gone. And they turn their lives around. And then there's the New Testament, the day of Pentecost, the Acts of the Apostles. The Spirit of God falls like flames of fire on those disciples. And they go out in the streets and they speak in tongues and everyone understands them. And 3,000 people come to Christ that day. And then there's times where they're praying together and the room is shaken and they're given boldness to go out and preach God's word. 
And then there's good old Paul and Silas thrown wrongfully in jail. Are they sitting there moaning? No, they're singing hymns. And what happens? Oh, oh, our chains have fallen off. Oh, oh, the jailers, jailers become a Christian because we've com- talked to him about Christ. You know, praise changes things. It makes things happen because we're listening to God and responding to him. And if you think it only happened back there in the Bible, no, 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 no. There's a revival in 1906 called the Azusa Street Revival. And it's said that now there are 500 million Pentecostal and charismatic believers across the world. And they think it probably started from that revival. Apparently, God's presence was so real, you could see the mist. And the children were trying to play hide-and-seek in it. And some people were trying to bottle it, which didn't, didn't work too well. But, but you can imagine there was a, a sense of God's presence. When my husband and I were in the Mosquitia, I said to you there was a revival. There was a church there that was fairly tame, fairly sort of deadish, really, if I'm honest. And then the Spirit of God came. And that whole area, the size of Wales, was transformed. And you saw it in people's lives. People turned away from adultery. People came and burnt witchcraft scrolls. People came off drugs and alcohol. People started praying and praising with such an intensity that I've never seen before. For me, that was a life-changing experience. And if you see me worshipping now, that's partly because I remember that worship in that place. And it's part of my soul and my life now to know that God can move in that sort of way among a people. So does it only happen out there in different places? Latin America, Africa, maybe India, Paul, (laughs) maybe India. What about here? What about here in the Medway towns? What about here in Walderslade? How big is your God? How big is our God? How hungry are we for him? How are we being refreshed in our worship? How are we responding as we worship and hear his voice? Do we come on a Sunday morning to praise and worship with an expectation that we will encounter the living God? Are we willing to be changed? You know, he's not just offering us a drop of water. He's offering us streams of living water. He's not just offering us the crumbs from under his table. He's offering us and inviting us to come to a banquet with him, to feast. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Come and eat with me. He's not just offering us a distant relationship. He's offering us an everyday intimate communion with him as his beloved children. There's a lovely expression in the daily office, if you ever do the daily office morning prayer, which says, the night has passed and the day lies open before us. I love that expression because it's just so full. The night has passed and the day lies open before us. If we can go on to the next slide. 
There is also this beautiful prayer in the communion service. And maybe we could just read this prayer together. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us so we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I was lying in bed the other night, in the middle of the night, which I've done quite frequently recently, and the phrase came into my head, nothing from you I withhold. And I actually got up in the middle of the night to find what song that came from, because it was bugging me and it kept ringing through my head. And this is the song it came from. By your side I would stay in your arms I would lay Jesus lover of my soul nothing from you I withhold and then I went and googled it online as well and I came up with this article which said we withhold nothing from him but what's even more amazing is that he's withheld nothing from us. And I thought, wow, that's something to hang on to, Lord. I give you my paltry little self, and you give me yourself. That's incredible. And so, let's let that king of glory that we spoke about in Psalm 24, that king of glory, that Lord Almighty, the Lord strong and mighty in battle, and we face some battles, let's let him into our lives. Let's let him come and transform us as individuals and us as community. In Jesus' name, amen.